athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. You've indeed got the man right, champ. Donald Ware on your radio. You've got it locked to box to row. We've got a busy and good show lined up for you. The National Football League kicked off on Thursday. And joining us to talk some National Football League here on the program, Steve White of NFL Network going to join us on the program. We got plenty of HBCU talk. As a matter of fact, I'm going to talk to you about the HBCU National Game of the Week. Week one in the books. Week two is on the horizon. You had the blowout victory. Jackson State over Florida A&M last week, 59-3. I mean, I, I thought Jackson State would win the game, but I did not see that blowout coming. I think Jackson State is a team that is on a mission. Sour taste in, in their mouths. And if you look at the HBCU coaches and media polls, which you can find on our website at BoxToRow.com, Jackson State remains number one. But make no mistake about it, the HBCU National Championship, for all intents and purposes, runs through Orangeburg again in 2022. But it's a Jackson State team uh, program and a team that is definitely on a mission. So we've got some good matchups in week two. Uh, I'm going to tell you what the, the game of the week is. I mean, we could, you know, you could look at, you know, South Carolina State and Bethune-Cookman. You could look at Lane and Benedict. You know, um, I mean, there's a couple of different games that you could look at, and I'm going to tell you which game that we're going to place a focus on uh, for week two of HBCU football. If you want to join us on the conversation, you can hit us up via Twitter at box to row B O X. T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W, an upset of sorts in college football. Uh, as a matter of fact, on last weekend, as ODU took down Virginia Tech, and also joining us today here on the program, Ricky Ronnie, the head football coach at ODU, going to join us here on Box to row again. Plenty of NFL talk uh, a little bit later on in the program as Steve White of the NFL Network is going to join us. We're going to look at the HBCU National Game of the Week. I mean, when you look through the schedule, I mean, there are some good games that you could look at. You could look at that Lane and Benedict game because Lane played Arkansas Pine Bluff well. Benedict's coming off a nice win. A lot of high expectations for both teams. 
in the SIAC. You can look at that Bethune-Cookman and South Carolina State game. It's an old MEAC rivalry. It's a situation where both teams are coming off similar losses to FBS and big FBS programs. I mean, it's a number of different games you could possibly look at. But there's a clear-cut favorite in terms of the HBCU National Game of the Week. And I'm going to be honest with you. This was a... You know, it was a situation where at one time, you know, especially early, well, when we first started Boxer Row going back 17 years ago and it would be uh, this matchup, but then it was some years where both programs really fell on some hard times. There were some years where one program was up and the other down and vice versa. But I think this rivalry is back. Uh, and I'm talking about none other than the Southern Heritage Classic in Memphis between Jackson State and Tennessee State. You're looking at a really good matchup. You're looking at a matchup of high-profile head coaches who had excellent careers in the National Football League. Deion Sanders, obviously a pro football Hall of Famer, and Eddie George was a superb running back uh, when he played back in the day, most notably for the Tennessee Titans. Had a, and, and when you look at both of these programs last year, you know what Jackson State was able to do, made it all the way to the Celebration Bowl, and Tennessee State had an opportunity to have a winning season, but I think a 5-6 and six season in a tough OBC in Eddie George's first season was, I, I, I was impressed. I mean, I got to be honest with you, I was impressed with that. Let's take a look at this matchup. If you look at Jackson State, Jackson State just blew the doors off of Florida A&M 59-3. That game was played on Sunday. So you have one less day of preparation and a bit of a travel day. I don't know if it's terribly far between Jackson. I don't think it's that far, actually, between Jackson, uh, Mississippi, and Memphis. But still, I mean, that's one less travel day that Jackson State has that may be a little bit more of an advantage to Tennessee State, I know Tennessee, I know the difference between Nashville and, and uh, Memphis. I think it's like three hours uh, or something like that. So one less travel day for Jackson State. But I look at Shador Sanders. I looked at him, watched him last year, looked at his numbers. He was like top 10 in terms of FCS, in terms of completion percentage. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes, doesn't throw a lot of you know ill-advised passes. And you could see that his maturation in the Florida A&M game. Now, we can talk about all the players, uh, or some of the players, I should say, that weren't there for Florida A&M, but Isaiah Land was on the field. As a matter of fact, made his presence felt. He had a, a sack in the game and a and a quarterback hurry. Um, and then B.J. Bowler was back, uh, the defensive back for Florida A&M as well. But Shador Sanders was so precise and just hitting his receivers. Not a lot of long passes per se but the passes that he hit were precise he missed four passes 29 of 33 323 five touchdowns no interceptions as you know he's the hbcu national player of the week absolutely precise okay when i look at tennessee state's defense and tennessee state had to come back uh, on last week really had to come back against Eastern Washington and made it a football game before falling um, by a touchdown in this football game. But Tennessee State gave up a lot of yards in the football game. Um, you look at what Tennessee State gave up, 474 yards of total offense to an Eastern Washington 
team that when you look at what Eastern Washington was able to do, as I look at some of the numbers, I mean, the quarterback, Gunnar Talkington, 29 of 46, 348, five touchdowns, no interceptions. And um, Eastern Washington obviously passed the football a lot, but was also able to rush for 126 yards, averaged close to four yards uh, per carry. So definitely you can see, at least in that football game, that Tennessee State was susceptible to the pass. And when you've got a Jackson State team coming off a victory like that, and I think Jackson State's on a mission. I think that it's a program that definitely had a, has a sour taste in its mouth going back to the loss in the Celebration Bowl to South Carolina State, ultimately losing the national championship. But this is a program on a mission. You look at Shador Sanders. I just don't see how Tennessee State is going to be able to stop Shador Sanders and that high-powered Jackson State offense that has a solid offensive line can also, I mean, I, I think can also run the football as well. You just see what he was able to do. So it, it didn't have a, a, a need as much, I would say, for Jackson State to run the football. On the other side, when I look at Tennessee State's offense, um, I look, I mean, this is a solid offense, right? You're looking at a kid, um, a couple of different things. First of all, you're looking at a running game that's really, really good. Devin Starling had in excess of 200 yards rushing last week against Eastern Washington, and we've seen this young man grow from the spring of 21 to last year to now this year starting off the season with in excess of 200 yards rushing. But when you add Draylon Ellis, the quarterback out of Austin P, to that mix, so now you're looking at his numbers from last week, 17 of 27, 257 yards, two touchdowns. He had one interception, but this is a kid that also has some escapability, um, 82 yards rushing and a touchdown on last week. So you're talking about a Tennessee State offense last week that had almost 600 yards of total offense against Eastern Washington. I'm not sure how good Eastern Washington's offense is. I mean, it was a good enough at, at a point where Tennessee State had to come back from a big deficit to come back and make that a football game. So, uh, you know, you're looking at a high power. You're looking at two high-powered offenses here in Jackson State and Tennessee State. I think this is where the difference is. To me, Jackson State's defense is good. Look at what Jeremy Musa was able to do against UNC and then look at what he was not able to do a week later against Jackson State. Aubrey Miller and crew... Um, I think it's going to be locked in that defensive line up front. You know, I mean, in the secondary, you've got Travis Hunter on one side. You've got Shiloh Sanders on another side. You've got the secondary. And that's just a really, really good Jackson State defense. And I, 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 I mean, I think, I mean, I don't think Jackson State is going to be able to shut down Tennessee State's offense like it shut down Florida A&M's offense. That said, I mean, I, 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 Tennessee State's definitely, to me, not going to have the put out that it had against Eastern Washington. I think it will be able to accumulate some points. I think, you know, you're talking about two fan bases that are going to be equal uh, there in terms of that crowd. We know Jackson State travels well. We know Tennessee State, at least once upon a time, may still be the case, travels well and it's going to make this trip um, to Memphis and the Southern Heritage Classic. So I think you're even, you know, sort of on that side 
of things. I think that this may come down to special teams. You know, Jackson State's got a, a good punter, got a good, you know, field goal kicker, and I think this game may come down, in fact, um, to special teams. We'll see what Bolden is able to do in the special teams game. Tennessee State's got a pretty good special teams, too. You know, this was – what was the score? Like Maybe like 24 to 10, 21 to 10, something like that. It wasn't a – you know, Jackson State won the game. It wasn't like a blowout or anything like that. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I do think Jackson State's going to win this football game um, on tomorrow. And I, not only that, this – it was hard for me to give a prediction of a score or a point spread last week because at the time we did – or recorded the podcast, we didn't know how many players at that time, Florida A&M didn't have any of his 25, 26 players, 26 players that were going to be eligible for the football game. Ultimately, they had only eight that were not eligible or weren't certified for that game against Jackson State. So I think Jackson State wins this football game, the Southern Heritage Classic, over Tennessee State by 10 points. Your thoughts, hit me up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. Steve White of NFL Network is up next. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way, Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whitbeer, the neighborhood original. Sponsored by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Served in total wine all over North Carolina. Fresh market in North Carolina and Virginia. Weaver Street Market in Raleigh, Durham, Carborough, and Hillsboro. You can also purchase in Durham at Zwelly's, Saltbox, Sam's Bottle Shop, and Bull McCabe's, and in Greensboro at Elm Street Lounge and Cooper's Ale House. The 2022 State Fair Classic, Grambling State versus Prairie View A&M, Saturday, October 1st at the Cotton Bowl inside the world's largest state fair. Let's go with Dan. Are you ready? One ticket gets you into the fair and the big game. What did you just say? Come early for the fair, stay later for the game. One ticket also. also. At 4 p.m., performing live on the Chevy Main Stage, Grammy Award winning Ashanti Live. Then, the classic kicks off at a new time, 6 p.m. Watch two new head coaches battle it out for the first time. The battle gets bigger at halftime. When the world-famed Tiger Marching Band takes on the Prairie View A&M Marching Store. Saturday, October 1st at the Cotton Bowl. Tickets available at Ticketmaster.com. Visit StateFairClassicFootball.com. Sponsored in part by City of Dallas. Dallas Sports Commission. McDonald's. Black and Positively Golden. Chevy. Cricket Wireless. And Methodist Hospital. The Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance is proud to support the 6th Annual Box to Row Countdown to Kickoff. We look forward to another fantastic season of HBCU football filled with great games, rivalries, pageantry, and unforgettable fall Saturdays. The Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance works with local partners to grow the sporting event industry in our area. The GRSA has an extensive track record of securing and hosting successful tournaments and championships resulting in significant economic impact for the region 
and an enhanced quality of life for our residents. To learn more, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at RaleighNC Sports. Best of luck to all area HBCU football programs this season. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row. Box to Box to Row. Box to Row. Box to Row. As we continue here on the program, we're joined by a gentleman who knows more about the National Football League than most people as a matter of fact he's a Howard grad you can see him on NFL Network I mean he does so many great things uh, he's no stranger to the program he is Steve White he joins us here on Box to Row and Radio Boss what's going on Steve Donald man so be on the show so good hearing your voice it's about that time my friend it is man it, it, we're here we, we've already you know we've already uh, had a game under our belt but, you know, I, w- I want to start here. You know, there's been – you know, we, we've been talking a lot about Lamar Jackson. and I mean, at the end of the day, a lot has been – a lot of other quarterbacks have been talked about. And you hear, you know, there's talk of defensive coordinators talking not so great about Lamar Jackson. Y- your thoughts, does, do you feel like he has something to prove this year? Lamar has nothing to prove, but you know what? He's the type of guy who's going to play like he does. Right. What, what is, you know, if, if he has anything to prove, it's just a silence to people who say he's not a pocket passer. Right. But why would you want him to be a pocket passer when he gives you such an advantage, especially the way the game is played today? When you talk to coaches, they're like, it's always a matter of math. And typically, defenses don't have to account for the quarterback being a threat with his feet. So they've got him kind of in a one dimensional pocket. Right. When you have got a running quarterback that balances the scales math-wise, and if you have a creative enough offensive coordinator, they can tilt the scales in your favor because you have a mobile quarterback. So we can sit there and talk about all the Ravens don't have wide receivers, blah, blah, blah. When you have a threat like him who makes you play certain personnel on defense that you can exploit with Mark Andrews, that you can exploit with Rashad Bateman and guys like that, he is. I, I think he is going to be so locked in because Donald all offseason. What do you hear? Oh, Josh Allen, oh, Patrick Mahomes, oh, Justin Herbert, you know, oh, Joey Burrow, right? All of these other things. You are not hearing talk about Lamar Jackson, and I think he's going to be like, okay, all right, let's holler at me at the end of the season. Yeah, he's he. You know, he's going to be. I mean, he's, he's got an NFL MVP. I mean, you know, he's going to be locked in if it were not for him being injured. Last year, the Ravens more than likely would have made the playoffs, and who knows what would have ultimately happened. You know what, Steve? One thing I want to I want to talk with you about that I know you have insight on, and it was something you know that happened earlier this year. And I said, "Oh, we're, we're going to try to keep it in the light, keep it in the light." And of course, ultimately, did not. But that's the Brian Flores lawsuit. Where sort of are we with that? Well, I mean, look, it seems like it's being negotiated. You know, when you have when you have suits like this, and you're filing it in the NFL. The NFL has got certain protections, right, where, where a lot of the information does not become public. But you've seen, I believe there was some type of ruling, settlement, acknowledgement 
if you want that, okay, you know, look, Brian Flores, or I'm sorry, Stephen Ross of the Dolphins, he was kind of joking when he was when he was saying the tank games. You know, he, he you know he said it, but you know, wasn't taken seriously. But our owners can't go go ahead saying these types of things. You know, when it, but they remember the Dolphins, the owner Stephen Ross was disciplined by the league for the flirtation. You know, the tampering with Tom Brady, as was. A, uh, a minority business partner. They were fined heavily. They were banned from day-to-day operations with their teams. But, you know, Flores still does have a civil court that other, uh, some other black coaches, I believe uh, Steve Wilkes, uh, I believe Ray Horton, and some other black coaches have jumped on kind of making a broader accusation of the bias against black coaches, you know, when it comes to hiring practices, promotions, things like that. So that's still... You know, that's still kind of in the works, but in terms of the league punishment on the people who Brian Flores is going against, you know, that that's kind of been handled, but when all you know, when all the smoke cleared, it's a, a Brian Flores was one hundred percent honest about his accusations. Yep. Steve White of NFL Network joins us here on the program as we talk some national football league. Do you feel as though the Rams can repeat as Super Bowl champs. And do you have a, a t- who do you think will win the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, to answer your first question, I'm going to answer my second question. I'm going to say, yes, the Rams can repeat. And, you know, and here, here's why, right? So a lot of teams, when they win a Super Bowl, they're like, we got to keep, you know, we got to run it back. We got to keep the band together. I was in the Rams locker room Tuesday. And they have changed so many people on this team. There is so much new blood. It's almost like a new team. The nucleus, of course, still, you know, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, you know, some of those guys. But you add an Allen Robinson, you add a Bobby Wagner, you add some young people uh, to this defense, right? It, you know, Andrew Whitworth is gone. Joe Nopu moves out to left tackle now. You've got so many new faces that I think the competitive edge is different. Like when the Buccaneers tried to run it back with the same team. Remember, I think they had all 22 starters come back. So I think they can run it back. The schedule's tough, but it's always tough for them, right? The NFC West prior to this year was always the toughest division in football. Um, They have a head coach and a coaching staff that is very non-complacent. You know, we can hear about, you know, coaches like, oh, we can't do what we did last year. Oh, they will not do. They, they don't do what they've done before. Some of their schematic principles are the same, but other things are vastly different. So I think they can run it back. I think the NFC, because of some of the talent drain going to the AFC, is not as tough. Um, so they very much can run it back. In fact, I think, they, I think they're going to be back. I think the Rams will be back in the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Jimmy G re-signs with the 49ers. And, I mean, I, I always thought, to me, even from the very beginning, uh, you know, you go back to the early part of the season, to me it just made sense to, for Jimmy G to stay in San Francisco. I realize it would have depended upon maybe what San Francisco ultimately could have got. Was this more of an insurance policy in case Trey Lance isn't what the 49ers think – think he will be no i mean this is what it's going to kind of look like 
But had Jimmy Garoppolo not had shoulder surgery, he'd be playing for the Panthers or somebody else right now. I mean, that was, you know, all along, hey, Jimmy, we're going to trade you. Great. As soon as you get an opportunity, trade me. Oh, I got this shoulder issue that now I've got to get cut. Oh, I can't throw until training camp. So now teams are like, well, we can't. This is a guy who already has durability issues, and now he's coming off a of surgery to his throwing shoulder. Like, let's let's slow play this. But you know, and plus, you know, he was going to cost the team twenty four million if they traded for him. Now he worked his contract as to where a team would only have to pay six and a half million. That's the part we keep failing to acknowledge is that. Jimmy G restructured his contract not to make it more palatable for him to stay with the 49ers, but more palatable for him to be traded. Because there's going to be a starting quarterback that's going to get hurt. Some teams are going to need a starting quarterback, and Jimmy G's got a very, very tradable contract now. And I think it's also just so, I don't think ironic is the right word, um, but the organization that they're doing this with the team that moved off of Joe Montana to put Steve Young in, the team that moved off of Alex Smith to put Con Kaepernick in, and now the team that's moving off of Jimmy G to put Trey Lance in. You know, they've had success the two prior times. Let's see if they can go three for three because physically Trey Lance does all kinds of things Jimmy G can't do. He can run, he's got a bigger arm, he's accurate as hell down the field. So now it's just a matter of experience, but is it going to take him – a long time to get that NFL experience with a Super Bowl ready roster. And if it does, then and only then do they maybe say, maybe we should go back to Jimmy, who's very well liked in that locker. Yeah. Steve White of NFL Network, talking some National Football League, joins us here on the program. It's interesting. I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, and I hear a lot of people saying how great the Chargers roster is, how great. It's going to be Justin Herbert is going to be great. But I look at the Chargers the last two years with all of the promise. It's not made the playoffs yet. How, how good can the Chargers be this year in that AFC West, which is brutal? Okay, you can rewind that question and you can in, in everything you just said and play it back for the last 25 years. The Chargers have almost always entered the season with one of the best rosters in the NFL from Philip Rivers to LaDainian Tomlinson to when they had Vincent Jackson, at wide receiver, you know, Antonio Gates at tight end. I mean, they have always had a loaded roster and have not been able to get over the hump. This roster is stacked, right? They have basically said, we've got Justin Herbert on a rookie contract. Let's go ahead and shoot our shot. And I mean, from the secondary to linebackers to the defensive front with them getting Khalil Mack and trading in, and, and, and signing Sebastian Joseph Day at defensive tackle, and Austin Johnson at defensive tackle, adding Kyle Van Oort to that group of pass rushers, and then drafting just two studs the past two years on the offensive line, you know, drafting a really good running back and Isaiah Spiller. We know what you're going to get out of their wide receivers, and then Justin Herbert is just that guy, right? So they've got everything on paper that it takes, but can they get out of their own way? Like, can they finally start closing games? That is something they have not done for, like, decades, from missing kicks to whatever. They have not been able to win the close games. And that is the only hurdle that could stop them from making a deep playoff run, run because there is not a more talented roster on paper in the NFL. But you got to play the games on turf or grass, and that's where the Chargers have historically 
had issues. Now, can they break that trend? If they do, they could very well be playing for a Super Bowl, and L.A. could have back-to-back Super Bowl champions with two different teams. Steve White of NFL Network joins us here on the program. You can follow him on Twitter at White89. We're going to step aside, take a break, come back. We're going to look at some of the – some specific teams in some of the markets that Box to Row airs on. You've got it locked to Box to Row. This is your weekly edition of the Box to Row Blitz. I'm Donald Ware. First, let me take you to Albany, Georgia, for the game between Albany State and Mississippi College with the game tied at seven with about five and a half remaining in the first quarter. Mississippi College took the lead and won the pass Smith Moore throws it man wide open and it's going to be touchdown 29 yard pass play and Mississippi College held the 14 to 7 lead Albany State would come right back on a Cam Ward eight yard touchdown run with about 620 remaining in the second quarter to tie the game at 14 apiece Albany State would take the lead Marcius Folks with a six yard touchdown run with 11 minutes remaining in the fourth quarter and Albany State went ahead 21 to 14 and Mississippi College got the football back looking to try to move it down the field. As Smith Moore yells out the count man in motion here he's going to come to option near side and it's going to be taken in the air intercepted at the 25 and all the way back for a ramp touchdown. You know my main man Freddie Fresh Suttles on the Albany State Sports Radio Network. Jaree Turner, 52 yards on the return. It was the nail in the coffin as the Golden Rams defeated Mississippi College 28-14. Now the Golden Rams remain at number two in the HBCU football media poll as well as the newly formed HBCU Division II coaches football poll. Now I want to take you to somewhere I don't think we've been in 17 years of the box to roll blitz. That's Bluefield, West Virginia, where Bluefield State was hosting Johnson C. Smith. The game was tied at 27 apiece as we went into overtime. And in overtime, Johnson C. Smith got the ball first. Tim Newman's six-yard touchdown run. Subsequent extra point put the Golden Bulls up 34 to 27. But the home team would answer. Play action, handoff inside. Lawful to the three, to the two, diving. Touchdown, State. Five-yard touchdown run to pull Bluefield State to within 35 to 34. State deciding to go for the victory at home. Snap good, rolling out to the right. Protection, plenty of time. Back of the end zone, caught. Touchdown, State wins it. Freeland rolls out at Perry Wilder and why not? That was Zach Helton on the Big Blue Sports Network. Bluefield State goes on to defeat Johnson C. Smith 35-34. to Now let me take you to Miami Gardens, Florida for the HBCU National Game of the Week between Florida A&M and Jackson State. Quarterback Shador Sanders leading a 12-play 69-yard drive by the Tigers capped off with this. J.D. Martin standing to Shadour's left shoulder. The snap, quick throw to the end zone. Touchdown, Jackson State. Tigers strike first in the Orange Blossom Classic. Shane hooks on the catch for the touchdown. But Sanders wasn't done. Shadour takes a snap from the shotgun. Throws in the end zone for Dallas Davis. He makes the catch for the touchdown. That's my man, the Hall of Famer, Rob J on the JSU Sports Network. That was the second of five touchdown passes by Shador Sanders. The romp was on. Jackson State 
defeated Florida A&M 59-3. The Tigers remain number one in the HBCU coaches and media polls. Now to Charlotte. Jaeger drops back. He's got time. Plenty of time. Steps up. One-on-one down the sideline. Warren caught the ball. 10-5. He's in. Touchdown, Aggies. Zach Jaeger to Jamison Warren, 55 yards. And the Aggies tied the Eagles at seven apiece. But North Carolina Central would respond. Richard has the snap. Play fake. Looks in the end zone. Has a receiver caught or near the end zone and dives for the pylon. Touchdown for the Eagles. Yours truly on the Aggie Sports Radio Network, Davius Richard. One of the four touchdowns that he was responsible for. This one to Kyle Morgan put the Eagles up 14-7. The Eagles would go on to defeat the Aggies at Bank of America Stadium, home of the Carolina Panthers, 28-13, snapping a four-game losing streak to the Aggies. Box to Row, the radio show, airs weekly on radio stations across the country, as well as Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific, on ESPNU Radio, on Sirius XM, and Saturdays, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, on Sirius XM, Channel 142. To listen to the show or for more information, log on to BoxToRow.com. We're back here on the programs talking with Steve White of NFL Network, talking some National Football League. The uh, season opened on Thursday. The bulk of the games are going to take place on Sunday. Steve, let's start with the Washington Commanders, those that listen to us on WHUR's HD3 channel in Washington. You had a new quarterback in uh, in Carson Wentz, um, you know, re-signed Terry McLaurin. The defense is supposed to be better. Your thoughts, where where do you and, – and, and a lot of people are talking about – when you talk about the NFC East, you're talking about the Cowboys, the Eagles, nobody's really talking about – the commanders can the commanders challenge for the nfc east yeah i mean they can you you look this is another team on paper that roster is really solid i mean defensive front they've had players right they they haven't had issues there they've had you know just health issues right and linebacker they've got players they've got players in the secondary the offensive line is, is decent right most offensive lines coming into the season have question marks theirs is decent um, you know, it, it's a shame what happened to Robinson getting shot in that robbery situation because I think he's going to be a heck of a tailback, but he could be back in a couple weeks. So the question mark is Carson Wentz because Terry McLaurin's a stud. Carson Wentz is the question mark, not a talent issue. It is a matter of can he get guys to follow him. That has not been the case in Philadelphia or in Indianapolis. This is his, his final straw. Coaches are always hyping him up. He's doing everything that we asked him to do, blah, blah, blah. Same things being said in Washington were the same things said in the Colts early on, same thing said by the Eagles for a couple of years. You know, look, when the, going, when the game gets tough, are guys going to have the faith in him? And he's got to establish that right away. But they have got talent. They've got enough talent to win the division. It's just a matter of can they, can they win games at the right time in games and in the season, and can they have enough faith in their quarterback to believe he can take them into the playoffs and to the next level? Let's take a look at the Jacksonville Jaguars for our listeners in Jacksonville who listen to us on XL 1010 and 92.5. You look at Doug Peterson coming in as the head coach, Trevor Lawrence, not such a great rookie campaign, although there were various factors uh, to that. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't seem like they could be any worse than they were last year, but how much of a step 
do you think they can take in 2022? I, I, you know, people I talk to think they can take a sizable step. You know, I, I, I work in the Falcons preseason, you know, booth for their games, and I was at a couple joint practices. And, you know, Arthur Smith and people at the Falcons coaching staff were raving about Trevor Lawrence. Like, man, you know, we looked at him to possibly draft him last year, even though we weren't going to get him. And, you know, we saw him last season. We were like, whoo, you know, maybe we escaped not drafting him. And then when they practiced against him this year, and Doug Peterson and what they're doing with Mike McCoy as a quarterback coach, they're like, oh, man, he's a different guy. Like, he's special. He can run it. His ball placement, his deciphering of defenses, his recognition is, is where it needs to be. So now they've got some players. They've got a decent offensive line. They've got Marvin Jones and Christian Kirk and some guys at wide receiver. Jacksonville is going to be better than what a lot of people think. They're not going to be picking in the top five next year unless they have some type of catastrophic injury. Looking at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, our listeners in Tampa on WURK. Todd Bowles now the head coach. This is a Buccaneers team only two years removed from winning the Super Bowl um, your thoughts, that NFC, that NFC South is going to be something else with the Saints, the Panthers, you know, could also challenge. But but your thoughts, I mean, I mean, any, I mean, I guess the Buccaneers can get back to the Super Bowl, right? But how, how far away do you do you think they are? Do they have a legitimate shot of getting back to the Super Bowl? Yeah, look, I, you know, you can't make judgments on what the Buccaneers are going to be over the first month of the season. Clearly, the injuries on the offensive line are a concern. Right. I'm not worried about Tom Brady and where his head is because he's such a savage that when the games start, he's going to be fine and dandy. Right, They've got the skilled position players. It's just a matter of protection. you know. And they don't have Gronk anymore. So they've got to figure some things out. Their defense is good enough to hold things together, though. Right, That defensive front, they don't have JVP anymore, but they've got Tryon. He's an up-and-coming player, Shaq Barrett. They've got guys on the interior. They added Akeem Hicks from Chicago. He's a monster linebackers are next level good secondary. They've got some pieces that are going to kind of slowly, we have to work through things. So this is the type of team that should make a deep playoff run. Talking some national football league with Steve Weiss of NFL network here on the program. Let's take a look at the Kansas city chiefs. Those that listen to us in KC on KC PZ. So a lot was made about Tyreek Hill signing with uh, with well being now with Miami, um, I should say, but but you know the way that I sort of looked at this thing, you add a couple of other receivers. I mean, you 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 know the money was going to be a lot to kind of re-sign him. I think where more of the issue may be with Kansas City is defensively. I don't. I mean, you you lose something without Tyreek, in my opinion, no doubt. But I don't I don't know if it's as much as people think it is. Your thoughts there again, playing in a very tough AFC West. I'm so glad you mentioned defense because look at the turnover, right? This is something they kind of had to do. You heard me talk earlier about the Rams churning their roster. That's what the Chiefs did this year. They realized, hey, okay, we've got some things coming unglued. Yeah, we you know we lose Ty Matthew, but we add Justin Reed. We draft Joshua Williams out of Fayetteville State. Um, you know, we we draft McDuffie out of Washington. We draft George Carlaftis. You know, they've got some speed on this defense, man. They've got some long guys in the secondary now. Carl Laftis had a great preseason on the edge. You know, just to add, they have Carlos Dunlap, the veteran on the edge. So much talent. Like the linebacker, Willie Gay, they've been waiting for him to really emerge. Maybe this is the year he does. But I think this defense, by the end of the year, is going to be one of the better defenses in the AFC. 
And for all the firepower that this that that division that AFC West has, Kansas City's defense. You know, you look at the talent that the Chargers and the Broncos have on defense. The Raiders, you know, they, they definitely are the have the biggest holes on their defense. But I think Kansas City's defense is going to be a, a really feisty bunch. Um, and you know, offensively, you got number fifteen. You're good, right? You lose Tyreek Hill. Andy Reid is the master of reinventing offenses. He's done it for years. It may take a minute to find out what their identity is, but I think the Chiefs are are going to be just so different looking in so many ways, so fun to watch in so many ways, and they're going to be, to me, that they are the team to beat in the AFC West and, in fact, the AFC. The Carolina Panthers, too many radio stations to name throughout the Carolinas. We'll call out ESPN Orangeburg. The Panthers add Baker Mayfield. You got some talent at wide receiver. Uh, you know, the defense should be pretty straight. I mean, I think this is a team that can challenge for that NFC South crown. What say you? Look, there's always, what, four or five teams that didn't make the playoffs the year before that, that make it. To me, Carolina is one of those teams that could sneak in there. All depends on the durability of Christian McCaffrey, which has been a significant issue. Because he changes things. I think Baker, his competitive nature, the fact that he, one, wants to earn a big contract, and two, show, show the Browns that they were wrong for, for addition of the way they did. Um, but, you know, we also know the head coach, Matt Rule, there's some people who are saying his seat's quite warm. I think the fact that they've organized a roster that's very competitive, added Baker Mayfield, um, if they can be consistent early, win some close games, right? That's, the, that's been an issue win some close games, this is the type of team that can get that early confidence where they can be, they can get that boulder rolling downhill. As long as Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, they are going to be a threat. He gets injured, it changes, it just changes who they are, and we've seen it the past couple of years. A couple of more teams to look at. We're joined, of course, his time. He's, he's gracious enough to give us his time, Steve Weich of NFL Network. Let's look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, those that listen to us in Pittsburgh on WGBN. So Mitchell Trubisky has been named the starting quarterback. Like, I, I I, like Mitch Trubisky. Like, I don't know if he got a fair shake in Chicago. Two playoff uh, appearances. He was able to, you know, kind of sit behind Josh Allen a little bit on last year. Uh, you know, Najee Harris is, is, is a stud, going to be a stud running back in the National Football League. Your thoughts... I mean, the Steelers have their work cut out for them in that AFC North, North, which is also brutal. Yeah, but, you know, there's just something about the Steelers where you always say they're going to be in it, right? Like, they're not going to be a bad team. And, look, Trubisky, I think you made a good point. Him sitting behind Josh Allen and being in a system where there was just so many things to for a quarterback to try to, you know, realize pre-snap, to watch it and see it, I think that's going to help him. Uh, you know, he's, he's a mobile quarterback, and I think sometimes in Chicago he stopped trusting, you know, his offensive line or whatever and would take off too quickly. And those are some things that they said about Josh Allen. But then watching Josh last year kind of use his mobility sometimes to run it, but oftentimes to create, you know, some of the scramble rules and things like that where he could hit, hit receivers on the move, they've broken kind of their routes. I think that's going to help him. I mean, the one thing about the Steelers that's a concern is the offensive line. Again, that's two-thirds of the NFL entering the season. The Steelers' identity is running the football, and they are going to have to run the football. You mentioned Najee Harris. They don't run the football. 
you know, they've got issues because teams are going to be stacking the box to say Mitch Trubisky beat us. I wouldn't worry about the wide receivers because the Steelers do arguably the best job in the NFL developing wide receivers and finding talent and striking gold. So I think that's fine. Their defense is going to have to stay healthy, hold things together early. But Mitch Trubisky looked fine to me in preseason. And, you know, look, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Big Ben, but I think he's somebody who's going to keep them competitive. And in the, in the AFC, in the AFC North, that's all you can ask for now. I mean, when they play the Bengals who can put points up, they're going to have to score some points, but you know, they've, they've got to get that offensive line together so they can do it in two different ways and not just rely on Mitchell Trubisky. Last team, Tennessee Titans for those in Nashville that listen to us on radio free Nashville still got Derek Henry there. No AJ Brown, you know, Ryan Tannehill had a, a really good regular season. Not so much in the playoffs, there may have been some talk about the draft pick, uh, Malik Willis, possibly. Do, do you think we'll at some point see Willis play? Your thoughts on the Titans, uh, who, I mean, you look at the AFC South, I mean, they have an opportunity to win it. Yeah, I mean, they should be right there with the Colts. Um, they lost a lot, you know, and the injury, I'm blanking on the name of the pass rusher. I mean, that hurts them. That, that, that hurts them. He's such a good player. Um, so they're going to have to kind of rally – uh, defensively, um, but they lost they lost some players on that defense. Um, losing AJ Brown, you know, really hurts them. I know Traylon Burks is a rookie who's kind of working his way through conditioning and, and health issues, um, and they're pushing him, which they need to do because he's got to make plays for them to be good. You know, again, teams are going to do what they do when they play the Titans, stack up to try to stop Derrick Henry, and not having an A.J. Brown there, you know, they may commit another defender into that box. You know, it, it tends not to work because King Henry is that dude. Um, you know, but the Titans have some things to work on. I think, you know, Mike Vrabel will say, you know, we, we're going to challenge ourselves, not so much the opponent. And I think, the, you know, the players, the way the culture he's developed, they're going to take on that challenge. They're going to be right there to compete for the AFC South with the Colts. You know, but I, but the other, you know, that division is going to be tougher than what people think because I think Houston and Jacksonville – are going to be a, a lot tougher outs than what they have in the past couple of years. But I would, I would expect Tennessee, and again with Brable and what his staff, and they've developed culture-wise there, they're, they're going to be right there at the end. Yeah, no doubt about it. Follow him on Twitter at White89. And where can, we, where can we see you on the NFL? When and where can – when – excuse me, when can we see you on the NFL Network? Yeah, I'm typically on uh, NFL Now weekdays at 1 o'clock Eastern, a two-hour show, really reporter, insider-driven, a lot of educational material being delivered. And you can see me on game day morning on Sundays on NFL Network and on a variety of the digital platforms that we have as well. He is Steve White. He joins us here on the program. Steve, really, really appreciate the time, man. We look forward to maybe talking some National Football League with you uh, during the course of the season. Let's do it, man. I appreciate you, Donald. Steve White is all over NFL Network, so be sure to check him out. Had a big upset in college football. ODU head football coach Ricky Ronnie joins us next. BoxToRow.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest
Texas news in the world of HBCU sports. Box2Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box2Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All-American teams and weekly media coaches polls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box2Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. Now, back to From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Let us continue here on the program. We're joined by a gentleman in his third season as the head football coach at ODU or Old Dominion. The Monarchs with a big win, 20-17, to over Virginia Tech last Saturday. Up next for the Monarchs are, is uh, ECU, as a matter of fact, this Saturday in Greenville, North Carolina. Ricky Ronnie, the head football coach at ODU, joins us here on the program Coach Ronnie, congratulations and welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Absolutely. A big win, a huge win, the first ever in ODU, ODU's history in terms uh, of a Power 5 uh, program, again, 20-17 to 17 over Virginia Tech. Your thoughts on your team's performance? Well, I, 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 we actually we beat them one other time before, 2018. So we beat them in 2018 when I wasn't here. Um but this was a special one because it was uh, a sellout crowd, which was an unbelievable deal. It was our first, you know, our first sellout crowd at our at our new stadium, our renovated stadium, um, and it, it was a special night. I thought it. Uh, our kids played incredibly hard and fought the entire time, and uh, I mean, we needed all 60 minutes. It wasn't one of those things where you know it was necessarily pretty. We needed all 60 minutes of it, but uh, came up and, and and got a big one at the end. Yeah, apologies. I should have said at your place, being a Power Five at your place, which is special. Can you speak to how that game came about in terms of? Um, uh, well, you played them before, so so we'll we'll scratch that. They, they you've played them before, so but 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 really, I mean, for them coming to your place, like how did that come about? Well, it's funny. We actually played them ten years in a row. Uh, this is the first year of a ten-year contract where we play them ten years in a row. Um, there's actually going to be five at our place, five at theirs. So, I mean, I, I, I commend them for, for doing that. Um, it helps the entire state of Virginia um, in, in terms of football teams in the state of Virginia. And, uh, and obviously, um, you know, it's, it's something that a lot of teams aren't willing to do anymore. But I think that this is what college football is all about. You saw it happen with a number of different teams this weekend. And, and for them to be able to do that is, is, is pretty awesome. Yeah, I think you hit it right on the head. We're here in North Carolina. North Carolina State goes to ECU, who's your next opponent, and then Carolina goes uh, to App State. So I think it's an excellent point. Ricky Ronnie, the head football coach at ODU, joins us here on the program. Talk about that last drive. You guys were down in that football game, 17-13, to and then, of course, it's capped off by Blake Watson's one-yard touchdown run to put you ahead for good. Yeah, we are. Uh, we were able to create some explosive plays on that last drive. I mean, um, you know, Ollie Jennings had some big-time catches for us on that last drive. And um, for a kid to, you know, he transferred back here from from another school. He's from Richmond area. And, and to come back to Virginia and be able to make those plays against a team like Virginia Tech, you know, that was a big moment for him. And, and uh, you know, our, we didn't play very well on offense uh, the rest of the game. But I tell you what, we made the plays we needed to when we needed to make them. And, uh, you know, that's what great teams do. You know, I mean, obviously we, we want to play more consistently throughout, but hey, when the play had to be made, we made them, and, and that was that was huge for our team. 
Yeah, speaking because you're talking about the number, you know, you're talking about a, a ranked team, but you know, speak to your team and and specifically offensively being able to kind of hang around while your defense played well. Yeah, you know, the one thing. Um, Obviously, on defense, we were able to generate some turnovers, uh, and that was huge. And we scored 17 points off of turnovers. So we were able to take advantage of some of those turnovers and turn them into points, and, and that was a big thing. Uh, you know, in the, in the fourth quarter, you know, we, we won the fourth quarter 10 to nothing, and I thought we played a little bit better there in the fourth quarter on offense. We, we created some explosive plays down the field. Um, we had, you know, really three completions over 25 yards there in that fourth quarter, and that was, that was a big-time part of it. Uh, we made a couple fourth down conversions, one in the last drive in particular that on a fourth and one play, it was a great effort by Blake Watson. Um, and then, you know, when we were able to get down in the goal line and punch it in. And uh, I think that, you know, we, we were able to do a lot of different things that good teams have to do. You know, you're going to have to make uh, some explosive plays. You're going to have to um, convert on third and fourth down. And then, you know, once you get in the red zone, you got to score touchdowns. And, and we were able to do that. Your thoughts on the play of your quarterback, Hayden Wolf? Yeah, you know, Hayden uh, came in last year for us and did some really, really nice things. We went on a little winning streak at the end of the year to get to a bowl game. You know, I don't know. I, I think he would say he didn't play his best football. But, again, he made plays there at the end, and, and they were they were critical plays. And that's, uh, that's what we want out of a quarterback. Uh, I, I know he's going to bounce back this week, and he's going to have a big game. We've got some receivers and, and some tight ends and, and guys who can make plays. Um, our offensive line, I know, is, is ready to come back and, and battle and have a great game. So, you know, for our offense, listen, our number one goal on offense is to win the game, you know, and that's what we were able to do. And, and now they're able to learn some lessons with a win, um, and I think that that's, you know, that's a powerful thing. Ricky Ronnie in his third season as the head football coach at ODU joins us here on the program. I mean, if you look at the play of your your linebacker Henderson, I mean, he's eighteen tackles in the ball game. You know, talk not talk about him not only in the ball game, but uh, you know what he means to this football team. You know, he, he's a, a kid who you know started last year on scout team and then ended it up as our third leading tackler. Um, he's a kid that I recruited since he was really a sophomore in high school when I was at Penn State, and he was. Uh, playing in, in Eastern Pennsylvania up there at Delaware Valley. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really uh, proud of what he's been able to accomplish. He's a great tackler. Uh, he run, he can run and hit. Um, he plays with such passion and, and such enthusiasm. And, and really he, he's showing everybody what we've been able to see now uh, since he's got on campus. For you, I mean, I, I realize, you know, last year was last year. But you were able to go to a bowl game. Um, on last year. This is a program that hasn't been in FBS football uh, very long. It was a program that, uh, before you got there, had gone 1-11. Uh, and 11. Speak to last season and maybe a bit of a turnaround. And, again, it, it leads into a, a really good football game and a big win for your program last week. Well, I think it's just something where uh, our entire program and you know, everybody involved from everybody in the administration to our fans and obviously and most importantly our players uh, just kind of bought into the vision that we were trying to um, create here. And, and I think that when we were struggling in the last year, they didn't, they didn't waver. Uh, there was no question the direction we were going. Everybody just kept coming into, you know, into the building and, and ready to work and, and ready to um, meet a new challenge. Um, and I think that that mentality carried through into this offseason. 
we had some adversity this offseason, um, but our guys really overcame it, and uh, it was a pretty special deal to be able to um, watch everything come together and, and uh, on that night. But the thing that we all know is, you know, it's not going to matter much uh, if we don't come back and have a great game uh, next, you know, this this week here against East Carolina, who is a tremendous, tremendous football team with with some great players. Um, so we all know that uh, the beauty of college football is, hey, you have one great win. Well, guess what? You get a chance for another one, and that's and that's what we're ready for. Yeah, let's talk about ECU. The Pirates lost a tough game at home, as I mentioned, uh, to North Carolina State. Your thoughts on ECU and what it's going to take to go into a, a tough place to play in Greenville to come out with a victory? Yeah, I mean, this is a place that's you know only about two hours away from us, so we recruit against them all the time. Uh, we know the type of passion uh, that their fan base has. Um, we've got you know people you know who uh, who fly those colors around around our neighborhoods as well. So this is going to be a, a pretty awesome deal for for everybody, and and they've got a great quarterback who is has more experience than maybe any quarterback in the country and uh he, he's he's unbelievable knows how to knows how to play knows how to play against zone knows where to go with the football against man understands protections can run is tough i mean i he's a kid who uh you know i played quarterback i i, I really love watching him play it's, it's it's pretty special he's got some big athletic receivers who can make some plays um, and then their defense does a great job of playing with layers and, and playing with passion and, and physicality. So uh, this is going to be a great challenge for us, and, and, and we're excited for it. And then last thought, I mean, you have Taylor Heineke on the sideline. Of course, Washington Commanders uh, quarterback started for the Commanders on last year, one of, if not maybe the greatest player to ever play at ODU. W- what did that mean to have him uh, on the sideline in that victory against Virginia Tech? He's such an awesome person and so humble. He texted me uh, the week before and was like, "Hey, uh, do you mind if I come to the game and and, and uh, you know I can get my own tickets?" And I'm like, "No, man. Like, how about you stand on the sideline? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, like that's not how this works. You know what I mean? Like, uh, when the legend comes to town, he, he needs to be treated as such. And so he he's awesome and he cares so much about it. He literally was like the he was like the first person as that clock struck zero. He was like the first person to, to hit me and uh, hit me on the back. And, and that was awesome. And he waited around until the very end to, 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 you know, just say how, what a great experience it was for him. And, and just to um, hear the type of passion he has for old dominion and, and knows what it did for him and his future and his life. And he just wants to pass that on to other, other players. It, it's a pretty awesome deal. I mean, have you ever been a part of a rush on the field by the fans, but what was this one? If so, then that's fine. What was this one like? I have been a part of a couple other ones, but they're all special in their own right. Uh, this one was pretty awesome. You know, this is awesome because my family was able to be down there, and 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 my son was one of the first people I got to see. Uh, my oldest son, Ryder, who's thirteen, and all he wanted for his thirteenth birthday was sideline passes to the games. And so, you know, that was a pretty awesome deal. I was able to hug him. At, at halftime right before we started and uh, kind of center myself and, you know, just to be able to have him that close and, and my whole family, my wife, Jen, and my youngest son, Jake, and then my mom was there on her birthday. I mean, it was a, it was a pretty surreal moment for me. That is awesome. Ricky Ronnie in his third season as the head football coach at ODU joins us here on the program. The Monarchs are going to be on the road uh, on Saturday, taking on East Carolina 
Coach Ronnie, appreciate the time. Continued success to you and the Monarchs. Absolutely. Thanks for having us on. Uh, anytime. I'm out. Thank you to Ricky Ronnie, Steve White, for joining us today here on Box to Row. For more information on the program, log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. And always remember to support those that support you. Box to Row is produced by DW Communications.